Welcome to Sunlight Connections, a homeschool podcast. In this podcast, we hope that you get the opportunity to connect with other homeschoolers for encouragement, tips, and fellowship. Like Sunlight's curriculum offerings, we explore homeschooling through the lens of a literature-rich, Christ-centered education. Join us on this adventure. And thank you for being here. I am Sunny, Sunlight's community manager and a Sunlight mom of two. Today, Trisha Goyer is joining me. Trisha is an author, speaker, and homeschooling mom. Welcome, Trisha. Can you share a little bit more about you and your family? Yeah, thanks for letting me come. I'm glad to be here. Um, I'm a wife to John. We've been married for 32 years, and we have 10 kids um, from the ages of 32 all the way down to 10 years old. And so I've been homeschooling for 27 years, so quite a long time. Um, We love sunlight. We use sunlight a lot. I also write books and speak, and I love traveling with the kids. So that's us, a big family that loves to get on the road. And that's great. Yeah, you're definitely going to be an expert because today we are <laughs> talking about customizing your homeschool to meet your family's needs. So you've got years of experience mm-hmm. and a lot of kids. So I'm sure that <laughs> you've kind of modified things over the years and figured out what's worked well for you. Um, but each child, as you know, if you have children, has mm-hmm. their own personality, their own learning style. You have your own personality. So it's really important regardless of how many children you have, but of course, it's probably more challenging the more children you add into that <laughs> and how you meet those children's needs. So where do you start and how do you determine what homeschool atmosphere you really want in your home? Oh, I love that question so much. And I think it's so important first to think about, and this is something I didn't realize like till halfway through my journey. So I love to be able to share. And when we talk about like kids and your style and their style figure out first of all what you love doing as a homeschooling mom because I think so many times we think oh this other family loves this curriculum or this style or doing this together and we get it and we're like this is so overwhelming I don't enjoy this at all and I know anytime we do something that we don't enjoy it's going to last two weeks and for me I realize I love reading out loud and there'd be days when I'm tired or exhausted when we adopted kids into our family and it was like super overwhelming I thought I would wake up and think all I have to do is get up and read some books out loud and that would just kind of get me going and so I think so many times if you're a mom who likes nature go outside and read or if you like doing more hands-on stuff work the stuff that you like doing into your into your curriculum into your teaching because when you're having fun when you're excited about it your kids will be too and then I also think Um, After you realize like, okay, these are the things I love. This is what I want to work in. Kind of figure out a picture of what your perfect homeschooling day would look like. I think so many times we don't take time to dream and plan and figure those things out. And so I really sat and thought about, you know, I want time with us reading the Bible in the morning and doing our scripture songs together and then maybe having a break and going outside for a time, going on a walk, doing read out louds and then individual work. And once I worked through like, this is a great day, then I know what to shoot for. And so then I know not to schedule a whole bunch of math in the morning because everyone's going to get cranky and overwhelm them. You know, so I would work things that would fit into my idea of a perfect homeschooling day. Um, And then I would tell the kids, okay, this is like, 
I don't have like a 30 minute schedule or anything, but they know these are the things we do. So I'd even set out the books we're going to be reading. I give them idea of what we need to get accomplished when we're going to go outside and get a break. And everyone, we just made this natural rhythm of what we enjoyed as a family. Um, and I mentioned like, I'm a mom who loves reading out loud. Well, I have some kids. I have one, especially she's 14 now. Um, and we adopted her when she was five and she does have some learning challenges, but reading out loud to her is like, I'm not even doing anything at all. She's not an auditory learner. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like I would ask her a question and you could tell she's just gone. She's just lost. And so I think that has been a huge challenge for me. Like you said, like every kid is different. We have 10 kids that I've homeschooled and I, there's not two of them who have been alike. And so figure out like, okay, for the majority of our kids, this is going to work. And then when you have those specific kids where like auditory is not her thing. So I need to figure out how to take what I'm teaching to the other kids and apply it to her. So one thing that I did when we were reading out loud, I would have a whiteboard and just draw things for her. So if we were reading like history and talking about like Columbus or explorers, I'd draw ships on this whiteboard and that helped her so much. It's not just these words that are coming out of my mouth. She was able to see pictures. She copied it down on her paper. Um, she loves songs. So we have to try to find songs that went along with it, go onto YouTube and find little short clips and videos. Um, and so I think so many times we think, well, this is this is what the curriculum book says. And this is what we need to do. And it might work for some of your kids, but there are going to be those kids that you're just like, okay, I just need to figure out different ways to get the information to this child because sitting there listening to a chapter book is not working and not helping this child. Yeah, I love that, how you started with what you enjoy and then mm -hmm. kind of incorporated into what works for each kid. Um, so I think, yeah, sometimes people are overwhelmed even when it comes to the curriculum and what they want to teach. Um, but how do you really let your personality play a part in your teaching style and how you schedule those days initially to then have that springboard to move on, you know, into how your kids learn? Yeah, and I think one thing that to um, always remember is the curriculum is a guide, not the boss. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, I know there are like, if I did every single thing in there, they're all worthy things. They're all wonderful things. They all are great ideas, but then looking at it and saying, okay, what is realistic for our family and what will I enjoy doing or what will just be really hard for me to do? And then like, again, like you're saying, like figure out our personalities and what will, work. And so for me, um, one of the things that I learned to do right away is I'm not a science project type of mom. And so I would actually, when my kids, older kids got older, I would pay them $5 to do the science project for all the other kids. And so here's my kids in oh from, you know, eighth grade or high school. And they were the ones that would, um, and for them, $5, like, Hey, that's cool. I can go right? buy something. <laughs> this is great. And I would say, here's the materials, here's the project, but you need to like set it up. You need to have your questions ready. You need to know the answers. So actually it was helping my older kids because to be able to teach something to someone, you need to be able to know it. So they were spending time going through the project, thinking ahead, planning all the materials. And then I would watch, like I'm totally happy watching and being there to assist maybe a younger sibling. And so figure out, okay, my personality is not 
going to, I do not want to do the science projects. I will push them off and keep postponing them. And the kids really love them. And so finding those older kids to do it for me was something that really, really worked. And so just think about that. I've also in the past, I've had other moms where I'm all about reading and history and their science. And we ha- I had one years ago with my first three, one mom that she would switch it off with me. So I would take the kids on Tuesday and do the things I loved and she would take the kids on Thursday. And so we each got like a three hour break, like to just have some quiet time <laughs> as a mom. <laughs> and then the other person would be doing some of the activities with our kids. And so that worked really, really well. Um, sometimes I think as moms, we try to compare like our weaknesses to someone else's strengths. Like, oh, she's so good with crafts or she's so good with you know doing the science things. Instead, we could say, oh, you're really good at this. I'm really good at this part. Why don't we switch kids for a while? And so really thinking of um, not just limiting ourselves to what's in the book, following that exactly, but what do I enjoy? Who can I get to help me? How can I work with maybe another mom or older kid to really make it um, fun for everybody? And so I think, you know, don't be afraid to like think outside the box and look at other ways that we could teach our kids or work with our kids um, to learn different things just in ways that isn't exactly maybe following the, the curriculum exactly. Yeah, I love that that you mentioned, you know, you don't have to be the only teacher. You can rely on mm-hmm. other homeschool moms or your older kids. How do you determine, you know, with your older children, maybe what things they can help with versus like it not being, you know, good for anybody or exactly, not, you know, <laughs> yeah, are they just playing and they actually learning? Like, how do you determine that, you know, with your children and are they at the maturity level or the ability level to then help teach some of the younger ones? Yeah, so exactly. So, so it has to be things that are kind of in their natural world, wheelhouse or things that they are kind of good at and, ha- and think it's fun. Like if my child hates math, I'm not going to have her like teach multiplication <laughs> to the little kids. It's not going to be fun for anybody. And so one book that I really love that has really helped me is um, Kathy Cook's Eight Great Smarts. And it talks about like there's nature people that are um, nature people and music people and logic people and I'm thinking some word people, um, numbers people. And so her books have helped really helped me see like in general, this kid is a music kid. If they're always tapping, if they always can like hear songs or learn things through music, if they're always singing lyrics or if they're a number person, if they're quick to do mental math and they love measuring things and, you know, even cooking and measuring things, you see kind of what your kid's general personality is. And I think that's so even more broader than learning styles. You know, we hear learning styles like auditory or kinesthetic or um, visual, or what's the other one? There's, I know there's four of them, but anyway, there's four uh, learning styles. Mathematical maybe? Mathematical, yeah. <laughs> so there's the four learning styles that we think, okay, this mm-hmm. is my kid's thing. But I think when we think even broader in their smarts, like they're nature smart. So they're gonna be the ones that like, will go outside and do an outside project with maybe their younger siblings. Or um, if they're logic smart and they love to solve problems or, a science project might be good because they're solving problems and they're doing equations and that sort of thing. So I think generally when you're looking to the older kids, definitely look to something that would be in their natural wheelhouse, the things that they enjoy um, doing already, and then they can help the younger ones. I have an older child that loves writing stories. So for them to help a younger sibling sit down and think through characters and description and stuff would be an easy thing for them to do. Um, and so, you, but you're also building up their skills. So you're showing that what you're doing is valuable 
valuable, what you know is valuable. My daughter, who has more of a science brain, she was the one doing most of the activities with the younger kids. She's totally happy dissecting things and showing them the microscope. She could look at it and know how to put the slides on there and do all those things because that was like naturally what she loved to do. And so you could start seeing those things in your older kids and, and then you're, you know, like praising them. Like you do such a great job on this. Can you help me out? Want to make some extra money? Have fun with your siblings. And so I think that is really just building their natural talents while also helping you as a home schooling parent too. Oh yeah, that's great. Um, and we've touched on the learning styles a little bit here. Um, so how do you teach different types of learners at the same time? We mentioned, you know, older kids helping out, but when your kids are maybe a little bit younger, or maybe you have kids that are around the same general ability level, but you have mm-hmm. a kinesthetic learner and a visual learner, yeah. how do you combine those two or three children, you know, to be able to effectively teach all of them at the same time? Yeah. Well, generally I will, especially like when we're, when we're doing sunlight or we're doing, you know, whatever time, like time period we're doing, I will do it with everybody. So we're all the whole year, we're all going to be doing ancient history or we're all going to be doing medieval history. We're all going to be doing modern day history and we're all going to be doing biology or we're all going to be doing physics. So I kind of tailor those types of things. And what I've discovered is, um, so I'm, I love reading out loud, like I mentioned before. So I'm, I'm going to read out loud, maybe say we're doing medieval times. I'll read maybe a, a book that's for this eighth grade level out loud to everybody. And I know the little five-year-old um, will probably only pick up half the story and they'll be like, ooh, dragon or something. They'll get interested in it. <laughs> um, but because we're all studying everything together, then it gets easy for me to... Um, kind of then take it and break it off into different things. So say we're doing medieval history, I'll read some of this level's books out loud. I'll even read some of the little kids level books out loud to everybody, which they love. Um, and then also while we're reading, because I know that there's some kids that like to be drawing or some kids that are more you know hands-on learning, um, some people like journaling, they can do whatever they want when I'm reading out loud, which drives my husband crazy because he'll walk into the dining room and there'll be one kid's doing Legos and one kid drawing and one kid painting. I mean, they're doing completely different things. And he's like, how can anyone even pay attention? But the truth is, even when I'm reading out loud, when they're doing something that's their natural part, when they're drawing along the story, when I'm writing, when they're taking notes, maybe that'd be a a person that's more about words and they're able to capture notes that really helps them. Or sometimes when they're just building Legos, they're still listening. And so I've I've learned that if they're doing stuff that's not a natural fit, not that's distracting, like if they're you know, doing something, they can't play a video game <laughs> or whatever. They have to do something that is naturally going to help them um, to follow along with me. Then then that's okay. And everyone is just used to every every person around the table. Now, it does get messy. <laughs> like it, but, at, but at the end of the day, we're like, okay, everyone has to pick up your stuff. We have to put your stuff away, you know, that sort of thing. But it gets everyone to work with their natural ways that they learn. And then we'll say, because we're doing medieval, okay, now we're going to do, you know, build a castle with this cardboard, or, you know, we're going to go on a walk and imagine, you know, what it would have been like in medieval times or whatever. We're going to incorporate all those other things. But I found like I've had between kindergarten 
and a senior. We're all studying the same like time period at the same time. And so it's easy for us to just transition to different things because it's not like I'm doing, you know, ancient history over here and modern history over here. <laughs> Our whole family for that year go works along together. And it does really, really good when we just, I just figure out what units work together on the different levels. And then I'll have like the fourth and sixth graders on this unit and the older high schoolers on this unit. And there's enough. And I always tell this when I speak at conferences, there is enough material and they will learn enough that it will cover all of it. And now that I have um, four kids um, with, I have two more graduating this year. So four kids with college (laughs) degrees. um, I I just say it totally works. Like don't feel because, you know, in 12th grade, according to whatever public school or whatever Mm -hmm. state thing, they're supposed to be doing chemistry. I promise you, it's going to be enough material with what they're learning together that they're going to do fine when they go to college. I love that. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that you'll read aloud sometimes from the younger program or the mm-hmm. older program to all the kids. So how do you do that? Do you read all of the read alouds or do you kind of divide them up when you're doing multiple programs, you yeah. know, where you're only picking and choosing, you know, how do you make that work where you're not reading all exactly <laughs> we never finish we never finish a whole curriculum <laughs> we're never able to get through all of this you know level c or you know we're never able to get through all of it but we're usually able to get to through about three quarters of it um mm-hmm. just by and sometimes especially with the older kids this book was supposed to be a read out loud but i'll buy an audiobook for them or like we've gone, I've mentioned we love to go on trips. We'll get an audiobook for the car. And so then we'll listen along in the car. So we're still getting the book. We're still getting the information. We're still enjoying the book. But maybe they're going to read it by themselves. Or maybe we're going to do an audiobook together. Um, so we've done that before where we've taken a number of their books and do audiobooks um, for them. And so they're still getting the information. But there are some days I'm sitting there for a good two hours like reading <laughs> from the books. I just have my hot tea. And like I said, because it is something that I enjoy, because I love reading stories. And, and sometimes some of the older kids, I'll say, okay, you know, my throat's getting tired. <laughs> you could read a chapter too. So we'll do some of those things too. Yeah, that's a great point. And I know I've done that with my daughter too, where I might've been reading to her and my throat is getting scratchy. And I'm like, here, why don't you read this chapter? I'll drink some water and then we'll come back to it. So yeah, that's a great point. You don't have to do it all in one study block. Yeah. Now, what about behavioral issues? How do you know if your child is struggling to learn something versus not trying to learn something or just out and out rebelling against the fact that you're trying to get them to learn something oh this is such a good thing so I could spend all day talking about this topic I say so in in general for us um we have three biological kids that we raised and graduated all the way through then we adopted seven kids from the ages of newborn to um our oldest was a sophomore when we adopted her and so we had a lot of background in trauma we've had uh, anger issues a lot of grumbling like you can tell the top what we're dealing with because they're often the topics of my books that come out because I've had to figure it out Um, and so in general um, there you really have to notice like what is the kid reacting to and is like if you're sitting down to a specific thing and that's where the anger comes up then that's probably something to do with learning 
So our three youngest kids, they're the ages of between 11 and 14 now. Uh, when I started teaching them to read, all three of them were having meltdowns and I can't do this. And they wouldn't remember we were doing the phonogram cards over and over again. And I talked to their pediatrician and we actually got went and got um, speech therapy, which I didn't know. I thought speech therapy was only speaking. No, speech mm-hmm. therapy is also processing. It's also reading. And I found out even though they're not, two of them are biologically related. One's not, all three of them are dyslexic. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go. But it made me realize like I'm getting frustrated with them mm-hmm. because they're not remembering. And literally they, the, the words are flipped. Like I'm trying to teach mm-hmm. them things and they can't even see exactly. it. And two of my kids, their eye tracking was not on. So she, so the doctor's like one eye is on one word and one eye is on the other word. So of course they're not going to be able to read. And so if it specifically is a certain thing you're trying to teach them, um, maybe look into what's going on. And once we had uh, the speech therapist come and she just had to teach them, I mean, start way from the beginning and forming letters and um, going over sounds again. And um, now two of them are great readers. One, he's 11. He still kind of struggles with writing because that processing part, um, but just realizing like he's only going to be able to learn at his pace. I Pushing him, getting frustrated with him is not going to help at all. So it helps to see like okay there has to be something else going on if it's a specific thing like they're having fun when we're on nature walks and they're having fun with all these reading, reading out loud they could totally tell me what I was reading but it was when they actually tried to read themselves that's kind of when the anger issues came up and so just know that there might be something going on mm-hmm. years ago when I first started homeschooling one homeschooling mom of eight told me um, if something is really frustrating to them if you think they could do it like you don't think there's a dyslexia or other issue and you think they could do it but they're just not getting it she says wait for six months and try it again and that has worked so many times as I'll be teaching a new math concept and and they're just not getting it they can't remember I'll just like okay we're putting this away for six months and it seems weird to do that like you could still do other worksheets or things to keep it with the stuff they know to keep Mm -hmm. it fresh but putting something aside, sometimes their brain just isn't ready to learn that new concept, to take in that information. And that has really helped me. Now, when it comes to other issues where they're fighting all the time, they're angry at the table. (laughs) And we've, we've had those things. Um, What I realized is like, there's sometimes I just need to take a step back from the actual teaching part. And we're just going to work on the behavior for a while. And so I remember when we first brought our four girls home. So we had three that were out of the house we had three little ones and then we adopted in the middle completely out of order Uh, but they had never been homeschooled before they'd been in foster care for six years they had a failed adoption right before us and you know for me like we're gonna homeschool (laughs) and they'd never been homeschool it was a (laughs) lot of change and when I first started and like we're gonna do this and this and they were not having it they thought it was stupid. <laughs> they <laughs> didn't want to listen. It just like, okay, I'm just going to pull back and we're just going to, we're just going to have fun. We're just going to do craft projects. We're going to bake. I will do some read out loud. I made sure to have Bible time, but don't worry. I think if you are having big behavior issues, um, don't worry about the academics at that time. Um, one thing that I learned for at a, at a adoption conference is that when their emotional brain is peaked when it's turned on their thinking brain is turned off so if they're angry 
if they're sad, if emotions are going on, we're not going to be able to sit down and teach them anything. Um, so just like take a step back. And if I could see they're overwhelmed with something, they're upset about something. Okay. We're just, we're going to push back the academics for a time and work on that thing. And and sometimes we think that it's more discipline. Like we're, you're just going to have to go to your room or you're just going to have to get consequences. You're going to have extra chore or no electronic for that day. And that might change their behavior for a time, but I found really connecting and mm-hmm. spending time not on academics. Like, so we're just going to cuddle on the couch and we're going to watch a classic movie and we're just going to enjoy time together. And we're going to make hot cocoa and we're going to just connect and spend that time real building the relationship. It seems like opposite of what we need to be doing in homeschooling. <laughs> but if you're not, if you're not going to have um, like, if there's problems with the relationship, if there's problems with attitudes, you're not going to be able to teach them anyway. <laughs> you're just going to get frustrated. <laughs> and so, so often just take a step back, enjoy time together, build that relationship, build that bond, figure out what's going on in their mind and hearts. And then once you get that figured out, it might take weeks, it might take, take months, but you're not going to be able to move to the academics if you're still dealing with all those, all those issues underneath. Yeah. So how do you modify that approach? If you have a situation like that going on, maybe with some of your kids, but not all of them. I know you mentioned you stay in the same period of history and you do a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff together. So if you see, you know, one or two children, maybe that are going through some stuff and you need to focus on that relationship with them, how do you keep from maybe derailing the other kids and or causing maybe some jealousy issues between, you know, I know if I had one kid doing all their school (laughs) and the other one not, that would cause some issues between the kids. You know, so how do you really approach that where, you know, you are focusing on the relationship with all the kids, but still keeping, you know, the others on track, maybe that are not having those same interpersonal, you know, dramatic issues that you really need to focus on. Yeah. And really for, for us, it was everybody kind of took a step back for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, if independently they wanted, cause I have some kids that'll just do it for fun. They'll just want to read uh-huh. books for fun. Those they can, <laughs> they can keep going, but in general, we're only going to read, say, we're going to only do Bible study. We're only going to read these two books. And then we're going to go for a nature walk, like kind of pull everything back for a while. And it may seem so weird. Like we are not keeping up. Like we should be on week 32 now and we are on week 17, but it, it honestly is okay. And then finding you're still finding ways to connect but you can tie it to the curriculum like you can you can watch um the unsinkable molly brown and learn about the titanic like they don't realize they're learning (laughs) but they really are (laughs) learning and so it's kind of the the sneaky way of you know we're all gonna pull everything back we're gonna build work on this relationship we're gonna figure out what's going on this person's mind and heart you know spend time together but you're also still adding in stuff or we'll play a board game okay we're gonna play the 50 states game we're playing mm-hmm. a game but it's you know they're still learning <laughs> in the process and uh so it really is and because it will be like if you say well this child we're just gonna cut on the couch but you actually yeah. have to do your math <laughs> you have to do all your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that will cause a problem and and to know like if if it's something that continues i mean you we have therapists that we've gone to we've had counseling that we've gone to off-site like without the other kids and so realize like for two months we're going to kind of pull back we're going to build more spend more time together work on the relationship work on attitudes and that sort of thing but you're still you're still doing things and then you're we're going to keep adding back those things back in when we're able to do it together 
Yeah, no, and that's a great um, thing that you mentioned too, that you might think you need to be on week 32 and you're only on week 17, <laughs> that your IG is just a guide. And if there are other things going on in the home, you know, mm-hmm. you need to tailor it to your kids. You are never actually behind. I think yes. people see that number and they feel like they're behind. But as you mentioned, you have four who have degrees and, you know, life goes on and they're still learning and getting that relational time with you that they wouldn't if they were in school. So I think that's great advice there. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have one example real quick yeah. that I want to add in that can tie into this. So I mentioned that we adopted four four kids. They were um, 11, 13, 13 and 15, um, she was almost 16 when we adopted them. And so, you know, here I am like, yes, we're going to read out loud. I'm going to read to you. My daughter was a sophomore when I pulled her out. She's like, really? I'm going to sit here. And we were reading, we were doing ancient history at the time. So we're doing like little pair and we're doing these books. And she, but she was like, okay, cool. I'm going to sit here. She's, she's the artsy person. So she's like doing art and stuff while I'm reading. Well, amazing. And she did have her own curriculum. I mean, she didn't get through the whole thing in the year, but she did have her stuff she's working on too. But for mm-hmm. hours, she was sitting there as we did Bible study together. And as we read Little Pear and all these other, you know, books together. Um, and she had done the ACT um, before we adopted her. And then she did the ACT a year later after we've been homeschooling. And her language went from like a 16 to like a 28 in wow. one year and in I have a fr- in one year and I have a friend who's an English teacher she's like I've never heard of a child <laughs> jumping up so much but it was I mean first of all she settled she's in a home now she's not yeah. in foster care anymore so I think the trauma part that has something to do, you can't sit and like take an ACT test when like all this stuff's going on in your life but also she was listening to language and, you know, my little kids are like, what does that word mean? And I mean, there's so, especially in the books, there's so much rich vocabulary Mm -hmm. that, um, so I think it was just being there. She was just drawing, listening to these books being read out loud. She was reading way more than she ever did in her life. Oh, this is school. I get to go and read all these great novels. (laughs) Um, And so I think all that, I think we kind of, don't realize how much they are actually learning and that really just showed me like even though it seems like she's doing less like she didn't have homework at night Mm -hmm. she didn't have all these tests that she was cramming for even though she was doing less it was what she needed it was what her body needed and her soul needed and her mind needed um to be able to progress so I just wanted to throw that in there so if you feel like like we're not getting anything done like that was a huge jump and she actually ended up getting the scholarship because her ACT jumped so much um, just in that one year. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think that's important for people to remember that if these kids are listening to good books, they are picking mm-hmm. up that vocabulary and grammar and all of those things. And I think by using sunlight where the parents are reading a lot, it kind of takes that pressure off of here's a stack of books you need to go read child. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. you know, because you are reading them, you know, I think in so many high schools in language arts and literature classes, they assign books, but are the kids reading them? You never really know. Yeah, but- <laughs> the kids are watching YouTube videos. Yeah. <laughs> so sunlight, you're making sure they're hearing those books. So yeah. that, that is so true. And I know you mentioned, you know, what you've been doing relationally with your kids to make sure that you're there for them. But how do you make sure that there's enough of you to go around Mm. and still handle, you know, normal responsibilities like cooking and cleaning and errands and getting kids where they need to go 
how do you make sure that you really focus on, you know, having that relational time as a family and that all of your kids have what they need from you as their mom? Yeah. And I think one thing that has been great because I do do all of them together as much as possible. It does take less time because everyone's hearing these all these books together and we're not Again, we're not able to do every book. We're not, we're not trying to keep up with the curriculum. We're doing enough for the day. So by having that together, we have that time together. So it's not I'm not doing individual curriculums with each child, which would be completely overwhelming and I would not have a time to do it. We're doing stuff together. Again, the older kids' books, I'm reading out loud. The younger kids' books, I'm reading out loud. So it works. So we're all, that, that time is less because we are doing it together. But also one Bible story that I love is um, the story of Zacchaeus. And, um, you know, Jesus is being impressed by crowds and there's people all around him. And he sees Zacchaeus in a tree and he's like, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. And there's, there was something about that he just knew, you know, I'm sure being Jesus, he knew that that was the person he was supposed to go with. But out of all the responsibilities and the things he could have doing, he focused on that. And so really, I just try to be aware to like what child seems to be off, what child mm-hmm. seems to be needing me at the, at the right now I have five kids that are home. At my peak, I had seven that I was homeschooling all at the same time. And because um, my first three were already graduated by the time we got the other ones. And so really, you could tell if something's off with the kid, if something's going mm-hmm. on with them. And so then I could say, hey, I have to go run to the post office. You want to go with me? Go get a smoothie. You know, just figure out that individual child, how you can meet their needs. Um, one of my daughters, I could tell she was just having an off day. And I'm like, you want to help me wrap presents? And she's like, oh. Because all of a sudden she gets to see what <laughs> some of her plans were happening. But she's like, and I'm like, you can't tell. But anyway, just that moment of us measuring wrapping paper. Like I can just see mm-hmm. that she needed, and she was able to talk about something she was upset about. And so when, the, I mean, thankfully, they all don't have issues every single day, all at the same time. <laughs> um, so when you see a child that seems to be struggling, something's going on, maybe they've had a bad attitude lately, you could just tell something is off with them, um, then you could say, okay, I'm going to pull off with this child, or I can do something else with that child. Um, and that really seems to help to just know that, you know, just be aware that mm-hmm. you can, you can give yourself to the child that needs it most that day, or there's some easy kids that seem like there's some kids <laughs> need a lot of attention. And so then I'll remember, you know what, I haven't done something with this kid. They're fine. They seem fine, their attitudes, but they don't do a lot of acting out. And so they are easy to be ignored. So then I'll remember like, okay, I'm going to take this child to lunch or something. So just kind of that awareness of their kids and what's going on in your home um, and choosing to do things. We've also had seasons where my husband and I will take a child once a week out to lunch. It'll be their his turn or my turn and we'll just work through the kids and get them all out to lunch. <laughs> so you can find ways to have that individual time um, with kids. That's great. Yeah. And with younger children, I know you're kind of past the little stage, but how do you eliminate distractions? Maybe a family with babies and toddlers and maybe they've got two or three older mm-hmm. kids. How do you still make sure they're learning, especially in those early grades where they're learning how to do everything for the first time, reading and writing and math and all of that, um, but 
still take care of the needs of the very needy, you know, baby or toddler that's also. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we've had those seasons too. Um, And I think one thing I learned it somewhere, someone taught me is if you give attention to the little ones first, like you're going to spend time playing with them. And because I think so many times we're like, okay, we got to get the school done. We have the older kids. And then we're just kind of pushing the little ones away. So if you take time to spend 30 minutes playing with them, reading stories to them, taking them outside on the swing, it kind of fills up their love tank. It gets them like, okay, like, okay, mom loves me. I had all this time together. And then they're able to sit quietly um, when we just expect them immediately. We're focused on the bigger kids. We're just, you know, no, go do that. Go hear some toys or go watch this show or here's a tablet. They're not going to, they're not going to do okay. So really, um, I would you know, spend time with the little ones first and the older ones. I mean, they love more time in the morning to wake up, <laughs> to relax. So they're fine with having to wait, sleep in. Yeah. To wait a little bit longer and really do, do that first. And, but then there's been seasons where we're like, okay, we're not even going to do math until nap time. Like mm-hmm. it is impossible. These kids cannot concentrate when there's a toddler running around or making a lot of noise or the baby's fussy and so then you sometimes even have to order your day like this is something you know the kid doesn't mind like coloring and stuff when I'm reading out loud and that's fine but if there's something we really need to concentrate we're going to wait till nap time or we're going to wait to do it after bedtime or figure out the schedules and thankfully those are seasons and um, mm-hmm. we always think like we're never going to get through this and this is so hard but those kids do grow up and <laughs> do learn to quiet down and uh, now I have grandkids so there's been times I've had grandkids over running around when I'm trying to <laughs> homeschool so it's like guess what you can just sit up here and eat some cookies and yeah. color while we're reading um, but it, it is all a season and it'll be it'll be okay. And it also shows the older kids to have compassion for the little ones. Like we don't mm-hmm. want to just see the little ones as they're bothering us. They're a pest, but we, <laughs> you know, we can play with them. We could all play with them and entertain them. And then when they're able to get settled down, then we can work on our other stuff. Yeah, that's great. And when you're trying something, you know, that is all those sayings about your best laid plans or your intentions, and you're trying to do something and it's not working out, or you feel like you're up against the wall and, you know, whether it be relational or academic or whatever, when do you know uh, what, that it's time to maybe get in some extra help from somebody else or mm-hmm. that you should look for maybe professional help, depending on what the situation is? How do you kind of troubleshoot those issues and figure out you know, this isn't working and now I'm stuck. What do I need to do now? How do you troubleshoot that problem? Yeah. Well, if it's academically, you could tell there's something really going on with your child. Talk to your child's pediatrician. And I didn't realize that we've had speech therapy. We've had um, occupational therapy. We've had physical therapy. And then we've had counseling and, you know, that type of therapy and going through the pediatrician, we get all those services through insurance. And so I always thought like, you know, the schools have all these resources, mm-hmm. but often if the, if the pediatrician refers you to a speech therapist or occupational therapist, that can be covered by insurance. And so talk to your pediatrician and pediatricians are also a great resource for knowing like, oh, this level, they should be able to sit still for mm-hmm. 
20 minutes or all there might be something different going on with your child um like I said the vision tracking thing like Mm -hmm. we went to the eye doctor and I was talking about some of the struggles with reading and so when they ask those questions like are you reading buddy you know they're (laughs) they're not just having a conversation (laughs) they're not just judging you as a homeschooling mom (laughs) like are you really doing anything with the kids they can tell by certain things and so Mm -hmm. he did more like they did another they had them go in and test different things and yeah my kids eyes were not tracking like they were not moving together and so those types of people can be great resources or other homeschooling moms that if you know you can talk to them like what do you do for this Um, and then even for outside help I've had seasons where I've had an older homeschool girl come in and play you know that's like high school or she's graduated um, come in and play with my little kids so I can get mm-hmm. stuff done. And, and often, I mean, you know, didn't pay far as much as I would pay for if I was to hire a professional babysitter, but she's getting a little extra money. I'm having time to homeschool while she plays with my little kids or helps clean for a little while. All those things, like, don't feel like you're a bad mom or you're, you know, other moms can handle those things that I can't. Like, there are times that my husband and I will just brainstorm, like, okay, I feel like I can't keep up with the housework. I can't keep up with the homeschooling. I'm also trying to write books on the side. And so we will brainstorm, like, what can we afford? What can we do? Who can we get help from? And it's okay. Like, don't feel like you're any less of a person if you need to have help. Because I always have someone helping me all the time because you're only one person and there's a lot going on. And so feel like you can talk to your spouse or someone you trust that can give you ideas of ways that you can um, overcome that. And I think another thing is just lowering our standards. Um, I always like, I had to have the laundry done and had, and the more kids that we add on, I'm like, okay, it's just, again, it's a season and it has helped me. I have older kids now and seeing like they do grow up. They yeah. do become independent adults that you know love God and live good lives and get jobs and so even if things don't get done and the house isn't to your quality or whatever it's a season and it'll be okay and you know just relaxing and giving yourself grace really goes a long way too yeah and I think that's so true what you mentioned like you feel like maybe your pediatrician is judging you as a homeschool parent and I think uh, you know, when you start out homeschooling, you have this whole checklist because you're used to hearing naysayers mm-hmm. say, oh, you can't teach your kids and you want to yeah. do it all yourself. Yeah. And like you said, you don't have to do that. And as mm-hmm. you see them grow, you realize it is working. Not everyone is judging you. I know as my kids have gotten older and I've heard more compliments from other people yes. and you know, I've seen what they do. And I'm like, okay, you know, we're not failing, even though early on, I think especially you feel like you've got to do it all. So I love what you said, you know, about enlisting help, brainstorming with your spouse or, you know, somebody else that you trust, Mm -hmm. you know, to figure out ways to help you do it all because you are one person and you can't do it all. (laughs) So are there any other tips or great advice that you would love to share, whether somebody's a new homeschooler or they're just in a difficult time and they've been doing it for years um, that you have found helpful or advice that might help other people? Yeah, actually, I had a life coach that really helped me with this because I was like at one point, especially we adopted all these because I'm like so overwhelmed. She's like, well, make a list of everything that you feel is going wrong. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a really <laughs> long list. And she says, but then think of one solution for each thing. 
just one solution. Like you're not going to solve everything. And so it'd be like, oh, no one wants to pay attention during Bible time or whatever. She's like, okay, what would one solution be? Well, we're going to color along. We're going to find a Bible color sheet for them to do. You know, just Mm -hmm. one little Mm -hmm. thing. Um, One of the things was like my house was messy all the time. And she's like, well, you know, what's your solution? I'm like, actually figure out a chore chart that works. And so I spent like 20 minutes I figured out a rotating chore chart. I broke up the chores simple enough that every day it's not going to be something that they're going to fight about. Like they have to unload the dishwasher or they have to wash the big dishes. Like I I figured it took me 20 minutes. We've been using that chore chart for five years now. And everyone knows like this day of the week, I unload the dishwasher or I pick up the living room or I clean the upstairs bathroom, which is all the kids' bathroom. And so I think so many times we get so overwhelmed with everything when we just look at this is the things I need to work on or I want changes to um, and then I'm going to make a list of one little thing and then only work at one thing at a time so right now we're going to work on a chore chart for the next two weeks I'm going to write it we're going to do it we're going to get in the habit of it and then kind of don't worry about the rest Um, and I think that has helped me so much like to you figure out the problem, figure out one little solution and then work towards that solution. And then pretty soon you realize I've solved 10 things mm-hmm. and they were all small steps. And so I think instead of being overwhelmed, that really just helped me, that life coach helping me to like be proactive, but very small steps that can go yes. a long way. Pretty soon we'll look back. Like I said, we've had the same chore chart for five years, but it really took me realizing like, okay, I just need to sit down and figure something out that'll be doable mm-hmm. for our family. That's great advice. Yeah. And just remembering it's flexible. It can change mm-hmm. at any time. Yeah. And just, I love that. Solve one problem at a time and then yes. you'll see that they're all solved. So as we've mentioned, you're also an author and you brought mm-hmm. some books that we're going to give away. Do yeah. you want to tell us a little bit about these books and why you think they're great homeschool resources or would be great for our homeschool families? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one is um, the grumble free year. <laughs> so our family, when I, this is when I was homeschooling seven kids. And then we also had my, one of my college kids in the house. It was just grumbling all the time. Like everyone was <laughs> complaining about the homework and about their chores, all the things. And so my husband and I made it a goal. Like we're going to talk to our kids and we're going to try to go a year without grumbling. Well, you know, of course we can't go a year without grumbling. But during that year, we did, like I was just talking about, we made proactive steps to read the Bible and read scriptures about grumbling and, me- and memorize scriptures about grumbling. And we had a, a gratitude jar, like all these things that we worked on. Um, and so this just kind of goes through our journey as a family and then ways. And truly by the end of the year, we were so much better about being more grateful and um, thankful than we were about grumbling. So it's fun because it talks about all the stuff we did wrong. <laughs> so other families like, I just love that you were so real in it. I'm like, yeah, because we're a real family, but also <laughs> things that did work for our family that other people can follow. So that the grumble for year um, is one I'm giving away. And then, um, so we have a children's book that go with it. My friend, Amy Parker, who's a New York times bestselling author. She did this with me. And um, it's just a cute story about the grumbles in the family and everyone is grumbling and you know, brothers and sisters and everyone's grumbling. And then grandma grateful comes and she teaches them to be thankful. And so um, it's a, it's a good story. My granddaughter's almost three and she can follow along and she loves it. So from three, probably all the way up to eight, it's another oh, um, book that just teaches about gratitude instead of grumbling. And Mm -hmm. then um, when I speak at conferences and stuff, the book that 
I get more feedback afterwards if people buy it and use it. And then people love for their homeschool is um, called Prayers That Changed History. And as a homeschooling mom myself, I would be reading a story and hear about a time someone prayed like, um, right, like, you know, during World War II, there was someone that prayed or the first missionary to the Native Americans in the United States, Jim Elliott, um, he, someone he prayed and just how God throughout history to people we may not even heard of or people that are very um, Mother Teresa and Helen Keller mm -hmm. that were very aware of Cor uh, Corey Tinboon that talks about their prayers. And so it goes through and has a timeline throughout history, has 25 prayers, and then it has Bible stories that go with it. And I've heard, heard from a lot of parents that they like to use this for their morning devotional time. They're learning about history, but it also ties back to scripture. So that's the third one. Well, that is great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited. I Now I want to read that one too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll definitely be giving those away. And thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your expertise. I feel like I've learned a ton. So hopefully it's been helpful for others as well. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great being here. Yeah, absolutely.